Good morning. So nice to see you all. I'm learning eye language. <laughs> Ooh, Tim, that was a new word. <laughs> the batting of the eyelashes. <laughs> Smiling is a powerful message in our culture. Very powerful. You gauge a lot by the smile. You're not smiling, I can tell. <laughs> As the world honored one was walking with the congregation, he pointed to the ground with his finger and said, This spot is good to build a sanctuary. Indra, emperor of the gods, took a blade of grass, stuck it in the ground, and said, The sanctuary is built. The world honored one smiled. So all of you here in this assembly are part of the founding generation of Zen in North America. All of you are part of the founding generations. And uh, right now we are building a sanctuary. We're building it right now. Building it here. We're building it out there. And a sanctuary is a place of refuge safety, a place to go for refuge. That's what a sanctuary is. And we are building it. And it's a rare opportunity. It's a rare and important undertaking we're all involved in. And um, we're doing it together. We've been doing it for a while. We first took a blade of grass and planted it in the Unitarian Church. Where's Louise? Louise planted a blade of grass in the Unitarian Church. And then we scattered some seeds down the road a little bit and sprouted. Those are pretty good. Those are like bamboo because they've sent their tendrils up here. (laughs) Now it's really thriving. And now longer tendrils and more blades of grass and more effort. It's spreading to the west, to Auspicious Cloud West, also known as Margaret Austin Center. And we're, we're building. So keeping in mind this building that we're doing, uh, also keep in mind the Buddha's smile. This smile is super important, and it's partly a smile at our efforts to provide sanctuary. It's a smile at effort. So what does sanctuary mean to you? How do you recognize it? Um, How do we make it? How do we make use of it? So that blade of grass is a tender shoot. Indra, powerful god, king of the gods, is also saying something else, isn't he? He's saying, demonstrating that actually there's some effort involved. He didn't like point to the ground and say, the sanctuary is already built. Everything is already a sanctuary. He took something and did something. So he was part of what Indra, king of the gods, was saying, my action is a part of this, even me the king of the gods. I didn't ask my attendant to do it, and I didn't say it's already built. I I did this. I, Indra, cooperated with you. 
So part of what's being shown and celebrated in this story is action, smile and action. So when we're here, uh, here, and also when we're there, when we're where we are, and when we do this effort, uh, we're building the sanctuary. When I, when you hang up the rake, the sanctuary is built. When I sweep the grounds, the sanctuary is built. When I sew and put stitches in a rakasu, the sanctuary is built. When I balance and reconcile the books, the sanctuary is built. <clears throat> when I hit the bells, sanctuary is built. Easier to recognize. But all these other, uh, even a blade of grass, the sanctuary is built. So this story of walking along with the congregation is not about non-action. It's also not really about action. It's about both action and non-action and neither action nor non-action. There's my Zen comment for today. <laughs> is, is not, both is, is, and both not, not, the four <laughs> propositions. <laughs> And the Buddha smiles. You're all smiling. Thank you. <laughs> and the other thing, another part of this important story that um, subtext is the footsteps of walking along are important part of it. You know, throughout our long, long, long tradition, the footsteps of the Buddha have always been important. And there are places where what they enshrine are images of the footsteps of the Buddha and the Buddha's feet. So the walking along is a part of it also. It's not just about um, sanctuaries built. It's walking and interconnecting and connecting and bringing every single blade of grass to life, every single inch of the ground to, to life. In the uh, introduction to that story I just read from the Book of Serenity, one of the lines is, who is this person who can be master in any place and meet the source in everything. Who is this person who can be master in any place and meet the source in everything? Who is this person? So we call that person awakened. We call that person Buddha. So wherever that person walks is a sanctuary. Wherever that person walks, they see a sanctuary. Wherever that person walks, they're building a sanctuary. So Buddha walked around northern India, basically pointing to the ground and building sanctuaries and recognizing sanctuaries. He said, one of the things he said was that wherever there are four practitioners uh, exploring the way together is a sanctuary, is a vihara, is a dwelling, is a refuge, wherever there are four. So he walked around northern India with the congregation and scattered seeds, and we are in this rare generation, it's just a short time now, where we're walking around Northern America scattering seeds and planting little grasses. And I, I recently had the great privilege of doing some traveling because I'm the director of the International Center of Sotas and Buddhism. The great thing is, though, that I get to travel to other centers. So I just want to tell you about our connectedness, because 
uh, just in the last month and a half or so. First, I went to Shaoshan in Vermont, northern rural Vermont, Vermont, um, and it's a beautiful little temple. And the founder was here. Many of you met her when she came for the uh, Mount Seat ceremony, and she practiced in Japan for quite a while. And then when she came back here, oh, there's a little crack on this. <laughs> Refixes. So she knew she wanted to found a place in North America, and at that time, nothing in Vermont. And so she was walking around and she got to this kind of hilly area and she said, This is where the sanctuary should be built. So literally, she started building. She collected wood and started building, and she has some skills, and then she hired some people. And it's this beautiful little um, sanctuary. And visiting there, since it's so remote, um, they consider a great, great gift because we're bringing to them the, the physical reminder of their connectedness. And they travel a little bit too. But going there and seeing the sanctuary that has just risen out of the ground is amazing. And then... I went to Zen Mountain Monastery, uh, and Zen Mountain Monastery is in upstate New York. It's not as remote, and it was built by uh, a previous generation who's now passed it on to the current generation, so Daido Lori. And they, he, he and his congregation walked around looking for a place there, and they found an abandoned, neglected, kind of derelict Catholic retreat center, which they have turned into a vibrant Zen monastery. One great story is that they were walking in the woods. Dido Lori was walking in the woods, and, and he was a very great, very energetic guy um, with tattoos because he'd been in the Navy. So he had these kind of running tattoos of that age. Do you know, they're kind of, they didn't stay in their in their borders, <laughs> which he kept under his robe. It was only when he was working, you'd see, oh, my goodness, Navy anchors. <laughs> they found a giant um, statue of uh, Jesus and kind of thrown into the woods because the front of their big building had a niche for a cross. So he had the statue cleaned up and put back into the niche. So that's the sanctuary, honoring the history of the sanctuary. And now the second generation, Shugen Arnold, is a great guy. He's also a builder. He recognizes he's in part of the building generation, caring for the land, installing solar panels, doing the things that are done now to care for the sanctuary. Then I went to a really brand new one, Ancestral Heart Zen Monastery on the other side of the Hudson River. And um, there right this second they're building that sanctuary they found a hunting lodge that they took away all the hunting paraphernalia it, but it's a beautiful building and so it's become a monastery with a bunch of people residing there like seven building it right now while we speak they have a great garden then i went to all beings zen sangha in washington washington dc and that has been around for a little while. Founder was there, um, leading Zazen. It's very close to the Washington Zoo. So in the morning, during morning Zazen, like we do, you hear the lions roaring for their breakfast. <laughs> 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 
It's an amazing sound. <laughs> they are so loud. You don't hear any other animal life, but you hear lions roaring for breakfast. Yeah. And they're on two, two floors of a really nice building. Very wonderful place. And I went to Buddha Eye Temple in Eugene, Oregon. And the structure is being built like right now. They're still, the day before the mountain seed ceremony, they were hammering together uh, stands. Their collection of people includes people who are really skilled carpenters. And so they were making things, even while they were, people were in the zendo re rehearsing the ceremony, other people were outside sawing wood and building things. And they were still sewing on the okesa the morning of the ceremony. <laughs> so building energy. And it's also brand new. And then Dharma Rain, just north of there. So I stayed an extra day and rode up to Portland with their abbot. His founding teacher has transferred the teaching authority to him. And she was there too, but he's the new builder. So he's in the process. Their monastery... I go. I love to go there because I watch what they've done over the years. And now they uh, are built on a former landfill that had to be sequestered for 30 years. And then they bought this 14 acres and have transformed it into a monastery, put up new buildings. And the abbot right now, uh, Kakumyo, is um, in the process of building a tiny house for himself and his partner and their gigantic dog <laughs> and their rabbit. So the tiny house is the largest possible structure you can build without a permit. And so it's about as big as where you guys are sitting. No, smaller, much smaller. <laughs> big dog, rabbit, and two humans. <laughs> Building energy. So And we've got builders in this room. So many of you have visited other monasteries and practiced in other places. Many of you on the screen have visited other monasteries and are near them right now. We've got builders from Tassajara right here. Zen Shin Roshi, Shinchi Roshi. And several of you have been to walk to Tassajara and put blades of grass in the ground and other places in Austin Zen Center. You're all builders. And some of you are working on the other land, building, building. So those are just the ones I have visited in September and October, but still there are few in our country. Still we are building. And there are other sprouts that didn't take, like they're in, in Truro near Provincetown. Kent is here from Provincetown right now. There was one in Truro, nice hardy sprout, and it didn't take. So maybe there's a little seed pod dormant under the ground in Truro and it will sprout back, back up. And there are places where the seeds don't get enough something. And so hopefully those are dormant and they will be brought back up. But it isn't foolproof. Plants don't grow. My grandmother had a green thumb and she, she said people would uh, say to her, wow, Ruby, you can make anything grow. And she said, they think it's just water. <laughs> it's a lot more than just water. Yeah, she, we had an amazing garden. Uh, and my, 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 my brothers and, and me, our, our chores were to weed that garden. 
I still have a slight aversion to weeding. <laughs> weeding around your grandmother's cactus plants. <laughs> Actually, I've, I've overcome it, but I always think of her when I'm weeding. So how do we each do our share? And the Buddha bestows the understanding that the place in Vermont, the place in Oregon, the place in New York, and this place in Houston, and the land in Chapel Hill, which will be available for deep practice, are good places to build the uh, sanctuary. The Buddha smiles at this, and each of us does what we can. That's the real message. Even the, the God, all he had to do was put a blade of grass in. So who is this person who can be master in any place and meet the source in everything? All of us are that person. Who is it who can be master in any place and meet the source in everything? All of us are that person. That's why we build sanctuaries, to help people recognize that. And there's a poem that follows that story, which goes like this. Boundless spring on the hundred plants, picking up what comes to hand, he uses it knowingly. The 16-foot-tall golden body, a collection of virtuous qualities, casually leads him by the hand into the red dust. Able to be master in the dusts, from outside creation, a guest shows up. Everywhere life is sufficient in its way, no matter if one is not as clever as others. Picking up what comes to hand, he uses it knowingly, casually leading him by the hand into the red dust, able to be master in the dusts. So our, our Sangha is itself a collection of virtuous qualities. We're different. We're a collection. And we are both individually, each one of us, a collection. We're not a solid thing. We're collections. And collectively, we're a collection with different abilities, different interests, different skills, different timing of when we can uh, exercise those skills. But because of our virtuous qualities, our collectivity and our uh, intention, our deep, strong intention, the land in the West has come to us. It came to us like seeking nourishment. Because, as I said, sprouts do wither. And without the right care, sprouts will wither. And that sprout did not want to wither. It wanted care. And it came to us seeking that care. It's drawn to our intention and our dedication. People see what we do here. You can perhaps take care of me. You can perhaps take care of this place. Will you consider taking care of this place for us? Okay, we considered since like September last year, we've been considering it. And then on July 13th, it became final. Now it's our job. <laughs> <laughs> we will take care of you. And over the last few weeks, many of us have been out there at our Western land. I bow to you all. And uh, we have been painting, cleaning, trimming bamboo. And we also watched while well, we actually, Tim found this great bamboo company and they uh, excavated around the perimeters of our three groves and disturbed some of the infrastructure. 
<laughs> laughter. <laughs> that meant that almost all the electrical conduit was broken and the yeah. gas lines were unearthed and broken and the water was broken and the air conditioning to the Zendo was broken. And what else before I start crying? <laughs> Septic was compromised. Yeah. Oh. Now it's all fixed. <laughs> it really is. On, on Friday, the last of the repairs took place. We did some, they did some, hired people did some, and these bodhisattvas of the bricklaying community <laughs> repaired some of the paths. So mostly you won't see it, you know. And Mary Carol advised us we're going to um, put down some mulch over some of the disturbed areas. So when you come out there, you probably won't notice that this huge chaos happened. <laughs> We took care of the place. Giant trenches. What was it like? It was like a, I don't know what it was like, Mars or something. But now it's beautiful. And this it was like a uh, yeah. <laughs> It was. Yeah. We found some interesting things, too. <laughs> but those of us who are out there, we're doing it for you. And you, by being in here, we're also taking care of it. There's no separation. This is how it works. So we are founding and building uh, a sanctuary for Zen teaching to flourish and various levels of practice, deep practice, long-term practice. And Suzuki Roshi would be smiling right now, really be smiling. And Suzuki Roshi, who came to America in the 50s, um, was also a builder. He came to be the abbot of a Japanese Zen um, temple in San Francisco, but he came because of the excitement of coming to America. He came because he wanted to see this place. And then when various students wanted to do more practice, um, he followed, you know, and went and leading and following the established Tassara Zen Mountain Center and City Center leading and following, building. And then he would move rocks and give teachings. And then he would move more rocks and give teachings. And he worked really, really hard to make it, to nourish that sprout. He really didn't want it to die. And there are many stories about him uh, being confronted about how hard he was working and him saying, I just have to keep it going. He gave that example to us and we continue that legacy. That is our legacy because we're part of that generation. But he had lots of students who did things like translating and cooking and things. It's not that everybody had to move rocks. So, and next week I wrote here, our, <laughs> the found, our founder, founder Tenshin Reb Anderson, a direct student of Suzuki Roshi, will be here leading a retreat on that land. And so those of you who can't come to that retreat will watch it on Zoom. This, at least the Sunday part. We don't have very good Wi-Fi out there because um, rural Texas does not have very good Wi-Fi. We should make a point about that. Go on strike? No. Can't go on strike. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down until they change it. Okay. <laughs> so we'll be out there, no Wi-Fi. And is a sanctuary like that meant to be removed from worldly practice, worldly activity? Is it? Um, in traditional, this is an age-old question, and in traditional Chinese temples, there were actually 
separate halls for the people who are involved in worldly activity and the people who are involved in just deep meditation practice. East Hall and West Hall. On one side, mostly administrative tasks. The other side, mostly meditation. And in Japan, that distinction was pretty much dropped. Everybody sits together, although there's kind of an outer hall, the gaitan, where you sit if you have to work right away. But that distinction can be problematic. Well, first I want to say something about my story. When I first started practicing in San Francisco Zen Center and then Tassajara, I realized right away this was a lifetime commitment for me. And I didn't have a word for it, but it was like, yes. And then Norman Fisher came to Tassajara on a visit, and he lived there and practiced there with his wife for years and also Greenville for years. And in his lecture, he said, he introduced himself to us, various people hadn't met him yet, and he said, I'm a lifer. <laughs> and I thought, yes, that's the word. I'm a lifer. So when I first went to when I first started practicing Zen, I went to the temple every day without fail. And I kept my job in downtown San Francisco. And sometimes I was quite tired because I was also keeping up a complex social life. Everybody expects you to do that. Going to the opera. <laughs> <laughs> but San Francisco Zen Center was my central focus and then my work downtown became an expression of it so I understand this world and I was working at a company or a, what you say, um, a law firm it's not a company what is it organization and I was working there and ethics were a bit of an issue I realized so I changed jobs to a different firm that um, was incredibly ethical. So it is possible to combine these things, but your, your ethical issues will come up. <laughs> so at least they did for me. And then when I moved to the monastery, my skills from the work world were highly important. So we don't drop the training that we've got. It comes to use. It's either used in the world to encourage ethical behavior or it's used in the monastery to nourish the sprout in all the ways it needs to be nourished. So out at our new land, there's going to be much work, already much work required. And the idea that we work so hard seems a little antithetical to deep practice or monastic life, residential practice, if it develops out there. But this is the age-old question. And it's also come up here a little bit. People have asked whether we have our urban center and our rural kind of semi-monastic center. Will one be better than the other? Will one take more energy and become more important than the other? It's like East Hall, West Hall is one more important than the other. I have a story about that. Nanchuan and the cat. So the great Zen master, Nanchuan, 10th century China, walked into the hall and found the monks of the Eastern Hall and the Western Hall quarreling about a cat. Now you understand. Usually people just focus on the cat, but it's also about the Eastern Hall and the Western Hall quarreling. So the story goes that he held the cat up and said, if you can say something, the cat lives. If you can't say something, 
I'm going to cut the cat in two. That's the story. It really gets people going. But people are mostly concerned about the cat. But what he was addressing was the East Hall and the West Hall. And they couldn't speak. They couldn't come out of their sectarian portal. They were, one was only on coming from, one side was only coming from Eastern Hall concerns. One was only coming from Western Hall concerns. They couldn't meet. That's the story. And in our tradition, Dogen Zenji has collapsed that since his was the first Soto Zen monastery in Japan. There's no distinction. All the people who are doing Eastern Hall work are in the same room with people doing Western Hall work. Do you guys know the story of what happened to the cat? Uh, it's a sad story because <laughs> they couldn't say anything so they say he cut the cat and then that becomes a koan that tests your understanding of what was actually happening so some people say well he didn't really kill the cat it was just a story some people say he did kill the cat I say where did a Zen master get a sword <laughs> <laughs> so in order to stand up to Nanchuan, one of them needed to go beyond their differences and realize they were all one. Nanchuan, who is this person who can be master in any place and meet the source in everything? Nanchuan is one. And he was looking for somebody in his group who could do that. Who can be the master in any place and meet the source in anything? And then the story is nobody could stand up and do that. So each of us is building the sanctuary. Each of us is a person right now in this generation who's providing a sanctuary for people in countless generations to come. Us, everybody in our town, everybody in our families, everybody as far as we can see. And then as all of you travel around and visit all these other monasteries, you feel the vibrant link between our places and how much we need to encourage each other. So uh, people are very, very encouraged by what we're doing here. They're amazed at what we're doing here. And if, if, if you want to just go outside right now and plant a blade of grass in the ground, make sure somebody sees you and that they smile. <laughs> That's part of it. Smile is a big part. Thank you very much.